Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, and thank you for joining us here at Things Worth Considering. Uh, we hope you've had a great week. I'm uh, your host, Gord Riddell, and I'm here with my co-host extraordinaire, Dr. Jan Hill. Woo. How you doing, Jan? Woo, woo, woo. Yeah? I'm good. Okay, she's good. She's I'm good. good. Uh, now, uh, l- last week, uh, we had a, a interesting discussion uh, about the negative thoughts that we have and how we have a tendency to verbally beat ourselves up sometimes. I always, I often think that I don't worry about saying anything nasty to anybody because I know they'll do a much better job on their on their own. Um, <laughs> like we could never beat anybody else up the way we beat ourselves up verbally. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a hard thing to let go of, but it can be done. It's kind of like turning the volume down on a radio uh, and also letting go of some of the fear because that's what drives uh, that critical voice. Uh, it certainly um, it certainly serves a purpose for us, and that is that it thinks that it's helping us not to make a fool of ourselves. Uh, it also helps us keep in line with our community and and follow follow their rules. So uh, unfortunately, it gets a little bit too big, gets out of control, and then it begins to determine kind of whether we take part in anything, it can be quite debilitating. So we have a really excellent question, actually, that came in. Uh, you can reach us, by the way, at uh, uh, info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, the, they asked us, whose voice is this that I hear? It sounds like me, so it must be my voice. Am I wrong? And uh, the fact is that, no, you're not wrong. The critical voice that we hear sounds a lot like us. It's a very clever trick that it's, it plays. Um uh, however, the messages that are in the voice are a whole collection of every growing up voice that ever said a negative thing to us as a child. That never happened to you, though, did it? No, I was perfect. I thought that's right. Still I am. I thought. I got all yours, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it could be our parents, our teachers, our older brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, priests, rabbis, anyone in authority. Uh, that their message then somehow rolls into this one place, um, and that's what we keep hearing. But there's an exercise that can be done. Do you want to tell them about an exercise and writing down the messages? Do I want to tell them about that? Yeah. You can tell them about that. Well, I, no. It's your I, exercise. I, yeah, you should get involved. It is my exercise. <laughs> Here's what you do. Is sit down, and you're going to give permission to that critical voice to start uh, uh, you know, giving you signals, okay? And as these messages begin to roll in saying, you know, you're not this, you should be this, you could have been this, write them down and just just let them go, okay? Uh, don't let them overtake you, all right? Just write all of these negative messages down. Then reach a point, step away from it, take a nice deep breath and uh, ground yourself and then take a look at those messages. Who's saying that? Often what you'll see is, is that, oh, my God, my mother used to say that, or my father used to say that, or my grandmother used to say that. And if you go through and you can identify them, all right, and nine times out of ten, you will actually know who, who was that said it. Uh, and just, just write down, you know, D for dad or, or M for mom as you go through, and you're going to be able to see that you have this collection 
of a whole bunch of stuff that's in your brain, in your in your verbal talk to yourself, that's not even yours. It came in, but it doesn't mean that it's yours, okay? Uh, so they're just other people's beliefs about themselves, other people's beliefs about how you were supposed to be, and beliefs about themselves and the world. And that doesn't mean that it's our beliefs. It's a few years later, if it was our parents, things have changed, all right? But what we're hearing is their view of the world that we've taken on as being our own. So we, we then get to make a decision, is this something that you want to continue to basically rule your life? Um, in some ways, they serve as a rule book for us. But, you know, I don't know. I didn't get a rule book. Uh, I got a lot of messages, but I didn't like the rules. So I had to keep changing them. Um, <laughs> did you ever change rules? I did. You did. I'm a rule changer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know what? Uh, what we're going to do then, uh, hopefully that, that exercise will help uh, uh, the woman who wrote in. Um, now, we're just going to talk about lies that we tell ourselves. Uh, do you ever tell yourself lies, Jan? I do. Every time I try to fit into jeans that I used to be able to wear last year. But <laughs> this year. I know so, I can. I know I can. Exactly. It's like, no, I didn't get that chubby. <laughs> that Christmas stuff wasn't so bad. <laughs> it happens. Did exactly. you have what lies do you tell yourself? Oh, I lie to myself all the time. Uh, right now, Groy thinks that he's at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he's he's probably uh, going to deny if you say anything about my not sweating or anything. He's just going to deny the whole thing, anyways, just so I can stick with my own lie. Yeah. Uh, so reality has nothing to do with your lie. Yes. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, what is what's up with this lying to ourselves? What do you think that's about? Uh, are we that bored? Well, are we that are we that bored? <laughs> we have to make things up. Well, gee, um, I don't think it's really all that straightforward. I think we lie to ourselves and we don't even know we're lying to ourselves because it happens sometimes consciously, like in the case of trying to squish into last year's pants or something after <laughs> the feast of holiday time. Um, but often the feast of holidays passed yes the feast of holidays (laughs) that many holidays passed but um no i think often we do it unconsciously because these lies basically form the template of our beliefs right they're just really really deeply rooted in our in our conscious and our unconscious and um they are they're part of the sort of the misinformed belief structure that we actually have so they affect it affects our decision making and our behavior it's a, and it can also be a social bias. So it can happen individually or it can happen collectively. So, yeah, the lies we tell ourselves. The whole society lies to ourselves. Yeah, we just we we confuse that with reality. We do. Right? We do. In fact, most people think that reality is our lies. Yes, and now we're getting into all sorts of stuff like the Matrix and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Or we're getting political leaders that we really wish didn't exist. And how could we possibly have believed what they said to us? Mm. Uh, so, you know, what, what happens, though, sometimes, though, you get these conflicting ideas. Like, you, on the one hand, you have this idea, but then all of a sudden this other idea plays out. Uh, so that makes us feel incredibly uncomfortable mm-hmm. on the inside when we're, you know, I mean, my, my dad used to have this great saying. He says, don't do as I do, do as I say. And, and that must have been so conflicted to say that because obviously he was doing something I wanted to to follow and boom, you know, it would be he, he had to say, no, you can't do this because you're too young or whatever uh, or it's just a really bad idea. So, uh, yeah, don't do as I do, do as I say. Um, and that's my dad. Anyways, 
when we have this discomfort, this is what is called cognizant dissidence. Yeah. I love that term. It's so huge. Yeah, right? it's like- so cognizant means anything to do with our thought process. And dissonance means that we're, uh, we're stressed. It, it's creating a conflict inside of us. Yeah, dissonance is actually a word that describes sound. So if you play like two keys on the piano, like two different notes on the piano that are like, and they're not supposed to go together, it's dissonance. Yeah. Right? Yeah, So exactly. you're hearing a dissonance. Yeah, and fortunately so- my brain doesn't make that sound you just made. What? It my brain doesn't make that sound. Does it hear it? Uh, no. Obviously, because you heard it. No, it makes sense. Right. So like part of that thing makes my is, stomach really upset, though. part of that whole thing is, is that there's a misalignment between sometimes what we want or what we believe and what we do, how we yes. feel and how we think. Right. Yes. So it's the feel, think and do thing that in there somewhere there's a misalignment. Right? And that's Huge. the dissonance. That's it. So a good example of that would be when, you know, someone says, that they, they want to be sober tonight. They don't want to get drunk going out for dinner, uh, uh, only to arrive at the restaurant and order that second bottle of wine. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Um, they'll have to deal with that the next day. Uh, so in that case, it's not two thoughts. It's the thought and the action that don't don't match. And that that is probably one of the biggest things I notice with people because our actions really do speak louder than words. Oh, yeah. Way louder. We can say anything. But it's our actions, it, what we put out there to people. And I, I really watch people's actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that tells me much more than what they're verbally going to tell me. Sure, that's kind of an interesting Western bias, right? Because the because bo- we can never know what is actually in the mind, right? <laughs> we, we don't can, even know where the mind is. We can is. think we do, right? <laughs> or we can be busy mind reading everybody around us, which is one of the ways that we actually create cognitive dissonance. But we actually can't know what's in somebody else's mind most of the time, right? Unless you have some special gift. But what we do is then we evaluate people based on, and evaluate ourselves, basically based on uh, what we actually do. Actually, I'm going to take that back. We evaluate other people based on what they do, but we evaluate ourselves based on often what our intention was, right? So this is how you can end up with, you know, driving down the freeway and everybody's racing by you and you're like, morons, they're dangerous drivers. I would never do that. And then one day you're racing down the highway, right? And you're cutting people off and you always have a really good reason to do that. Nobody else has a good reason to do that. So you evaluate your own driving skills based on your intention. But officer, I really had to get somewhere, right? Exactly. And we we make ourselves very important. Yeah. And we evaluate other people based on what they do. I have to say, don't you know who I think I am? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You no, know, it's my impression of myself. Uh, uh, doesn't get me out of too many problems, though. Uh, um, so, and you know, another another classic one is going to be around money. Uh, I just think we have so many, you know, distorted thoughts, mm-hmm. and and that's why you know we really want to look at this because those distortions become damaging eventually. Um, you know, it gets us really into problems. So, you know, here I am. I'm short on money, and. All of a sudden, I see these golf clubs, and they're dirt cheap. I just have to have them. And so what do I do? They're on sale. Yeah, Big you, sale. You Huge. can't afford not to buy them. That's right. You can't afford not to buy them. This is how people get us in retail around sales, because the bottom line is I am still going to have to put money out, which I don't have. Right. Right? So yeah. out comes a credit card, and boom, I'm suddenly buying something. Yeah, a couple of weeks later or so, in comes the credit card bill. Now I'm sick because I see what that that dirt cheap uh, golf clubs, what it just did to me. 
Okay, so you know, I mean, that's something that's that's really worth considering here. Okay, uh, is sales still mean you're going to spend money? And if money is an issue for you at the moment, then uh, it doesn't matter how big the markdown is. Don't buy it. Yeah. All right. On sale or not, you're about to spend money that you just don't have. And you're putting yourself in further back, putting yourself in further jeopardy financially. Uh, so people of the retail world, stop doing that to us. We're on to you. <laughs> We're on. We know what you're doing. We know what exactly. you're doing. <laughs> Uh, but that's definitely one of those things that's worth considering uh, in terms of what would make our life just a little bit easier and a little more fun uh, is not putting ourselves into these kinds of situations where we're acting, well, to use my dad's word, irresponsibly, son. <laughs> yeah, I think what's interesting about cognitive dissonance or what we can call cognitive distortion, this kind of lying to ourselves, is that these beliefs and these behaviors and these decision-making pro uh, processes are actually reinforced over time. Right. So mm -hmm. we do it consciously or unconsciously, but they become part of our sort of historical creation of self. So going back to the idea of, you know, cheating on the diet or something like that. Right. It's like, yep. oh, this one little, you know, box of after eights or whatever. It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Or I used to always maintain that eating if you eat really chewy candy, it might take you three calories to eat a two calorie candy. So actually yeah, but 10 calories to chew it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I just said, right? Oh. So you're actually, yeah, you're actually burning calories by eating chewy candy. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, right? So is, if you true? do, yeah, I believe it is, <laughs> right? And so this is the whole idea is that the more we do it and the more we actually engage in the behaviors, we actually sort of create ourselves um, historically. We go back in time to uh, the behaviors that worked, to, uh, worked for us before, even if they they weren't actually, uh, even if they were distorted, they worked for us before. The lie worked for us, and so we lie to ourselves again, and exactly. it become part of who we are. But it becomes I'm part the of person our, who always cheats on the diet. Uh, yeah, right, that sort of person. It becomes it becomes uh, part of our, our our myth in society mm. too. You know, the the classic one that I always think about is is that if you go outside in the rain and you, you're not properly dressed, you're going to catch a cold. Mm. All right. Well. Study after study after study after study will tell us that is absolutely not true. You can be you can be buck naked and you are not going to catch a cold unless you're already coming down with one. You will not catch a cold by being out there. But we tell ourselves, we tell then more importantly, we then tell our children that they have to dress properly if they're going to go out in the rain. Well, I figure I'm drip dry, you know, I'm watertight, drip dry, not a problem. Right. But what's interesting about your example is that that example actually comes out of a historical uh, understanding, a scientifically historical understanding of how people catch colds because it goes back to this idea of vapors. Right. So, right, right. yeah, vapors used to float around and vapors would enter your body. So if you had wet hair and you were sitting by the by if you were walking outside or sitting by the open window or whatever, that would actually attract the vapor. So that's a great example of how a limited belief or an irrational thought or even a paradigm, a scientific paradigm collapses over time when uh, when new evidence shows up and when it moves from sort of an unconscious belief to a very conscious awareness that this idea is an old idea and it doesn't, you know. But we still tell people that. Right. We still have the legacy of these ideas. That's right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so even though we have the evidence that says this isn't right. true, uh, that, that this doesn't happen, we still carry on with that belief system. Yeah, but I don't think there are a whole lot of people who actually truly believe that. I think people I say it. I tell children that all the time. Do you? Get in there. Get in there. Get in there and dress properly. Exactly. <laughs> Wear that hat. 
right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where, yeah. Where's your hat? It's raining. Yes. But I mean, that, that, you know, that plays out in, in other ways. Like I use that one. There's a, here's another yeah. health one that if you uh, have cancer, and you go in and you have surgery, and they once they cut you open, once the cancer is exposed to the air, that's it. It will metastasize. It goes like crazy. Again, they would not be doing surgeries if that was even remotely true, and that is not true. And yet, people will still caution people about having any sort of surgery uh, that could be life life saving around that. And, and that's where this, some of this stuff becomes dangerous. Is you know someone's in a vulnerable position, and we're we're saying, oh well, you know, uh, you know, we just have to uh, be careful about this, you know. Mm-hmm. So what happens when someone decides not to have the surgery because of what somebody said, you know? So that that's just where I, I see these becoming, you know, uh, uh, while some of them are really interesting, they have the potential of hurting ourselves and hurting other people. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about this idea of false beliefs that play out in our world, that the lies that we tell ourselves is they they are perpetuated over time, they're false, yeah. and they can actually cause psychological or emotional or physical damage. They can also cause societal damage. Right? Yes, yeah. Like the whole climate change. Well, yeah, the climate change example, thing. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the deniers versus the science so showing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also with relationships, mm-hmm. you know, if you have, a, a, which is probably one of the classic areas that a lot of this stuff plays out because, you know, the closer we get to somebody uh, intimately, the more, more likely we are to hear a lot of this kind of uh, damaging ex- expressions about ourselves. Is our body's not good enough? We're not, you know, strong enough. We're not childbearing or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of interesting the things that that play out when we get into a relationship, and some of them are really horrible and causes you know a lot of internal working out you know of those things inside the relationship, which is very damaging. So I think on that note, we need to take a break here. Sounds We're going to shift it around away from like hurting ourselves. Uh-huh. Uh, so this is uh, Gordon Dell and uh, Dr. Jan Hill, and you are listening to Things Worth Considering on Voice America. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. 
What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. For so many years, adults and teens have experienced a breakdown in communication. It doesn't have to be like this. Listen for Tools for Teen Transformation with Lily Williams. Coach Lily and her guest will tackle subjects like bullying, self-esteem issues, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, and more. It's all about getting teens and the adults in their lives to think differently. You could save a teen's life. Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, this is uh, Gordon Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill, and we're talking about uh, today lies that we tell ourselves. And right now we're talking about a thing called cognitive dissonance, uh, that uh, when we have one or more ideas floating around in our heads, um, or uh, in our head and the action that we take, and they oppose one another, and what that uh, tension is that happens on the inside. So uh, we should look at some of these. Some yeah. of these are really interesting. Yeah, one thing I just want to mention before we look at those is yeah. the correlations. There's a lot of correlations, but strong correlation between um, cognitive dissonance and depression. Absolutely. Right? Yes. So, Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk any more about that? Uh, well, just to kind of just say what the obvious part is, right, is that when you live in conflict and when you internalize that conflict, when you actually feel quite strongly that, A, the world either doesn't understand your intentions, so you feel misunderstood, or B, that you end up doing a bunch of things that you really don't want to do. Sometimes you're doing things for other people or whatever. Then you have a tendency to feel like you're not valuing yourself, right? There's this fundamental dis- a lack of valuation for yourself. And so that can that strongly correlates with depression and I think that's really really important when we because the flip side of that is is to acknowledge that when you are in alignment when you when your behaviors match your values and your values um, when when they're in alignment your emotional status is going to feel more stable you're going to feel happier with your life you're going to just feel on track then there's very little room for depression absolutely you know I think that um just that whole idea, we, we, you talked, just touched on it, and we, I didn't go far enough with it, is this, that whole thing of being congruent and, and being consistent. And that is, if you say you're going to do something, 
you have to carry through and do it. So, you know, that gives us that congruity. And I think that is probably one of the strongest ways that we build trust inside of relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, when you know that when you're your partner in any capacity from business through to personal says that they will do something, you don't even have to think about it. You just know that it's done. Mm-hmm. All right. It's when the person keeps dropping that ball and the excuses that come with it. Now, that certainly puts them into into a, a, a very stressful situation, but it puts us into a stressful situation because we then begin to lose trust in that person. Well, right, and I think it lays the foundations for the martyr complex in a relationship, right, where you have one person who, is, who isn't actually doing what they want to do in their life, and they are not actually in alignment with their own selves. So they're, they're doing things that they think is going to help them score points with the other person or things that are expected of them. And, you know, when you get fed up with that, there's really just a couple of responses. One is to push back hard and just, you know, get out, leave, whatever, get angry. Or the other is to just succumb to it, feel disempowered and become the victim. Yeah, right? yeah. Which then leads to codependency. Like there's all these different factors, right? right? So at the very heart of everything, I think, lies uh, in human dynamics, lies this, this, the importance of being truly congruent with who you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, the, the, uh, that, that congruency, um, you know, and and the lack of it, feeling like a martyr, that really plays into that whole thing of when, when uh, people become caretakers, you know, there's caregivers, which you get paid for, caretakers, which, yeah, it's, you don't. Yeah. You just get screwed over. Yeah. Uh, and it's a common place where a lot of people are winding up these days, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, we're going to be doing a show, actually, on that. So, Great. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a look at becoming a caregiver as our parents age and, uh, you know, uh, how we take care of themselves, how we take care of our friends as they're aging. It's uh, kind of an interesting time of life. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are going to become quite elderly, apparently, in this society over the next uh, – uh, 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. yeah so let's let's look at this uh, um, uh, the cognitive dissonance because uh, as I said some of them are is very it's such a well studied area I mean it's not, not that there isn't some level of uh, uh, controversy not everybody swallows all of this hook line and sinker you know because some of them are, it's where do you classify these they're having classification mm-hmm. difficulties I just think Forget the classification. I just think that some of them are really interesting. Well, one thing's for sure is a lot of these are going to sound really familiar to you. I know they sounded familiar to me, and I know they're going to sound familiar to you. Absolutely. Listen, I have a list of 50 of these. Oh, yeah? All right? And I give them out in my class, one of my classes. And I have them go through it and and tick off the ones that they relate to. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because they look up and they're like, I think I do them all. Mm. And it's Yes, probably you do, mm-hmm. uh, but it brings to that the awareness to them, and they can begin doing something with that if they mm-hmm. want. But it's fascinating. This is there's fifty of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the here's one: the gambler's fallacy. This is where you attribute something in the future to something to a correlational false correlation in the past. So, what does that mean? That basically means Those so if words. you're imagining you're at the gambling table, or imagine you're at the uh, slot machine, and you've put in you know a couple hundred quarters into into some machine, and and what's going through your head is that, well, I've already put in a couple hundred quarters, so the next one is more likely to win, right? So this is this is a false attribution. This is what they call in statistics an attribution error. error. And it, there's a spurious correlation between uh, what you think is what what the what the earlier event is and what the later event is. So there's a causation bias, right? You actually yeah. think something's going to cause something else when they're actually mutually exclusive events. They're totally exclusive right? events. 
But that's also where they can build the logarithms that goes into those machines that can predict it in a way that the machine will always win. Right, for sure. There's, right? there's a payout. There is a payout. But let's let's face it: the owners of those machines are the people who are going to be making the most amount of money. Well, right. But you know, so how would a gambler's fallacy work in a relationship? Can you think of an example where that would happen in a relationship? I can. Well, I would think you know it's uh, okay. Say I brought you know we had a just a problem, uh, and so I bring a gift home, and you know it, it worked it all out, and we it was all you know, lovey dovey, and we lived happily ever after till the next day. Uh, so I use the same same behavior again. We have we have a problem, and so it's like okay, last time I fixed it by bringing these flowers and chocolate. All right, and so I do it again, except it's not that fixable this time. Right, right, right. So in that case, the solution that you used before isn't going to work in every situation. Exactly. Right, right? but exactly. you attribute it to that. You think it will, so that's an attribution yeah. error. But that, that goes back to what we talked about yeah. in one of our previous shows about historical problem solving, doesn't it? It totally it does. You know, is that we keep we keep doing the same thing and anticipating the same results. Uh, and then we're quite shocked when uh, uh, when suddenly we don't get the same result. Yeah. You know? And yet the there's also the flip of that would be in the area of codependency where we keep wanting things to change. And but we keep going back to the same person in the same house on the same street, knocking on the same door. And we're shocked when they answer it. We keep thinking magically but that's also a bias mm-hmm. uh, that that someone different's going to show up this time. And they never do. And they never do. But we keep going back down the same street, walking past past that same house and knocking on the same door. Right. And then in hindsight, we actually do the hindsight bias, which is the sometimes it's sometimes called the I knew it all along effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you keep knocking on the door. No one shows up. Eventually. Right. You kind of go, huh, knock on the door. No one shows up. And you go, well, I knew this all along. Right. <laughs> so you go back to the past and you look for the patterns and you know, and then you, you, what actually happens in the present actually reifies the past. That's right. Right. right? That's reifies right. your past observations. Yeah. We, we will often make, make the past replay itself back out. But that's like, if we don't learn from it the first time, history is condemned to repeat itself. And is how true is that in all of our lives? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I've dated the same person, different names, mm-hmm. six times at least. Mm-hmm. Until take a look and go, my God, they all have the same attributes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could so, that lead to the identifiable victim effect? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. The tendency to respond more strongly to a single identified person at risk, you mean of dating, um, <laughs> than to, uh, than to uh, uh, put any, any uh, uh, what am I looking for, the word here, put any knowledge onto a large group of people who could be at risk. Yeah. So you would see perhaps the person that you date as being uh, a risk to you or risk for them. Or someone being rescued. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But just, <laughs> you know, the other gender or the gender that you date, not as a cohort being at risk or being right. risky for you. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of interesting because, you know, there, there's a, a, a reverse that sort of plays out here. And that is the more people... If you are in trouble and you get sick and uh, the, and need help, the more people that come around the, the area, say, from a car accident, the less likely you are to get help because they believe 
that someone else is probably already called, so why should they bother? Yeah, that's a bystander effect. Yeah. 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 And that's, that sort of comes out of this in a way, you know, sort of the reverse of that is that when you have a crowd and you have an identifiable victim, that that crowd does not respond to them in the same way as that if there was like just a couple of people there. Because mm-hmm, you just assume that, I think that fits in with the illusion of control, right? Is sometimes there are those of us who... who what do you mean illusion? The illu- yeah, who operate under this idea that we have control <laughs> over things. And the bystander effect is the classic example of a whole bunch of people thinking that other people have more control. Yes. So, you know, so the illusion of control is really about you thinking that you have control over things that you don't have, right? And feeling accountable or responsible for those sometimes that can show up that way but the flip side in the bystander effect or in this identifiable victim effect is in fact that we we often think that we don't have control exactly exactly more there's more people walk around thinking they're in control than not in control right i i think yeah i think I think sometimes, though, you get really clear messages about what you're not in control of, right? So that's part of the learning of life. Well, it is. It is. Because, in fact, really, when it comes down to it, uh, all the way down to it, the only thing that we have control of is ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately. Sometimes. Right. You know, I mean, unless you're a teacher, then you have a control of the whole classroom. Everybody. Exactly. Or if you're a nurse, then you have control of everybody who's lying in a bed in your hospital ward. I have control over who goes to law school. Okay. <laughs> right. Give him a B. No way. Right. You're not going to be studying law in this going town. To law school. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That that one of control. People are really, uh, really quite shocked when they realize how little control they actually have. Uh, but to actually control our own lives and have that responsibility and accept the responsibility for our lives is actually one of the most liberating things there is. I think though that's all part of the myth of like the whole neoliberal thing in society, right? Which tells us that we have agency and we have to make the right choices and there's so much pressure to make the right choices and to treat life as if it's predictable. And so we're actually born into a culture that over rates control but also um um like we rely too much on this illusion of control right is mm. bred into our cultural our western cultural values or even that that our voice matters yeah yeah they can say whatever they want about it. we want to hear from you guys and you know uh you know to help determine policy or, or direction of policies or whatever uh it really doesn't matter they've already decided that it just needs to make it look good like it's a democratic process mm. Yeah. Uh, it's already been done by a couple of people, you know. Uh, you know, here's one: if you worked for emergency measures in your city, this is or your country, this is where it would be very difficult because the normalcy bias is is that there's a refusal to plan for or to react to a disaster which has never happened before. So to you know have have you know a fake. Uh, a disaster day at the, the local hospital in case of a uh, uh, an airplane crash or something like that. Uh, it's not going to be taken seriously because it's never happened before. It's hard to get a lot of people to even understand anything about you know having water on hand, you know just basic survival things, having a blanket in your car, a shovel in your car during the winter months uh, in the northern part of, this, of the country. Uh, because it's never happened before. I don't run out of gas. I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's I never going to happen to you. Yeah, it's okay. never going to happen to me. About that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But I, I think got, I got my cell phone here. Yeah, I think this is a really important bias because I think this is correlated strongly with um, just the the individual and collective um, 
uh, lack of response to really important things like climate change, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. like some of the the social issues that we have around. Uh, but around doesn't that go back to the control? Like, what what do I? What can I do with climate change? Yeah, but I think that's different, right? It's different because the normalcy bias is something more like, uh, you know, what I never, I don't have to worry about starving, right? I don't have to worry about, I don't have to worry about not having clean water. I just turn on my taps and right. I get clean water, right? It's filled right. with fluoride, but whatever, right? Or I live in Canada, so, you know, we've got the most lakes in anywhere in the world, practically, I think. So, you know, I'll just go north, right? right. <laughs> I'll just live on a lake. I'll Keep drink going that north, water, all right? the way up to the Arctic. So, the, so that feels normal to me to not have that kind of apocalyptic thinking, right? And yes. I think that's a little bit different than, than um, than yeah, I think that's a little bit different than what, than what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, right. Um, I'll, I'll give you that one. Okay. Well, maybe, I don't know. Let's talk about the ostrich effect. That's uh, oh, there's an ostrich one. Okay. The ostrich, I love the ostrich effect. Mm-hmm. We all know what ostriches do when they don't like something that's happening and they're very threatened. And that is they, they stick their head in the sand. And if they can't see it, it's not there. Well, as I like to let people know that your bum's fully exposed in that position, your head can be as far down in the sand as you want, and your backside is fully exposed, and people will not even hesitate to take a kick at it. So you might want to consider, uh, you know, the you know the ostrich effect, whether it's staying in bed and pulling the blankets over your head or actually sticking your head in the sand, which I don't advise, uh, that you're still very exposed. But if you can't see it, it's not there. That's that gets more people into trouble by not returning phone calls or letters or whatever that are being sent out saying we need to talk to you <laughs> for whatever reason. You know, financial usually. Uh, if we ignore it, it'll go away. It doesn't. It gets worse. Mm, that's one of my personal favorites because I think I do that. But uh, it's not that I don't answer people. But uh, I'll do all the tasks that I have to do. But it's this idea that there's something that's not working out. Or something that's challenging or whatever, because my bias is just work harder, right? Just work harder, do more, plan more, get it organized. Like I have definitely uh, what they call a planning fallacy in a way, right? Which is the idea that if I just keep planning and I just work more and I just get more organized, everything will be fine. So I'll stick my head in the sand around the emotional issues. I'll be like, no, I'll just work harder. It'll be fine. Right? (laughs) And we know that that's not true. Well, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. I know. But we have to. We have to uh, spend hundreds of thousands. Let some other people do some work here for us. Let's say again. I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in therapy learning. That's not true. <laughs> you should have called me. Exactly. Really, I would have just told you on the exactly. phone. Exactly. Um, I think we true. have to let some uh, other people uh, do some work here. That uh, we're going to uh, break away here, and uh, uh, we are listening to things worth considering. Gordon Dell and Dr. Jan Hill, and we're going to be back in just a few minutes. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. 
This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic healthcare, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, and welcome back. Uh, you're listening to the Things Worth Considering. Uh, I'm Gordon Riddell, and I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill, and we're talking today about uh, uh, <laughs> Things that you can never get out of your mouth fast enough, all right? <laughs> Cognizant dissonance. Uh, and that is basically lies that we tell ourselves. Uh, they're, they're, they're not necessarily lies, but they can get us into trouble as they begin to sort of form a solid piece in our brain over, over a lifetime. So we, we had some good ones going up uh, that we're looking at. What are some other ones, Jan? Oh, here's the one that I love is the illusion of transparency. And that is where we um, overestimate other people's ability to know who we are 
and like, you know, to really know is at a deep and intimate level. And but we <laughs> also overestimate our ability to know other people. So we yes. think we really know that person really well and they don't understand us at all. And so, then we're so shocked when when they do something and we're like, what? Well, and this <laughs> is a big deal in relationships, right? Yes. Where how many times have you heard people say in couples counseling things like they just don't know who I am? Well, yeah. Because they're a human being and they can't know who you are. But we love to pretend that people mind read. Yeah, and we love to pretend in many ways that we we hold on to that really deep sort of human longing for somebody to know us, right? Yeah, I know what you really right? want. That oceanic feeling that Freud calls it, you know, is is that desire for connection. And yeah. it shows up, I think, as this uh, illusion of transparency. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, because, you know, we're hardwired to be connected. Mm-hmm. We really are. And our world is not very conducive to making that happen right now. Mm-hmm. That's going to, we're, we're going to do anything, you know, it's like climate change might be one thing, but it's learning how to connect mm-hmm. and getting past all the crap that we have around being intimate with people, even letting people know. I mean, as, as much as we want people to know us, we're terrified of having people know us because you know, there, there goes that critical voice again. Mm-hmm. They're going to see all the flaws. They're going to see I'm not nearly as spectacular as I think I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told them that That's I was. Illus- they call that the illusory superiority bias. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? See, I knew that they would have they yeah. picked that up there somewhere. Something. There's exactly. also one called the just world phenomenon, right? And I think this is a, is a very popular common one, is the idea that justice will just play itself out. People will get what they deserve and mm. fairness will come. And I think of the Myers-Briggs, right? Between people who are perceivers and judgers. Yes. And I don't even know if there's a correlation there or whatever, but it just seems to me that that is a really integral part of Western culture is that belief, right? Yeah, I think it really is a, it's such an illusion because mm-hmm. the, then the people who really believe that people will get what they deserve, uh, you know, well, that's a, the karma effect too, isn't it? You know? Absolutely. Uh, in spiritual areas that, uh, you know, karma will take care of that. On the one hand, I certainly believe that. I believe it may not be now, but it'll be somewhere down the line if we're, we're terrible. Uh, but at the same time, I think it sort of ties into the, that belief of it's just, but that life is fair. Mm-hmm. And life is not fair. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody ever told me that life was going to be fair. Mm-hmm. I had to make it fair mm-hmm. for myself. You know, mm-hmm. in other words, make my life work the way I wanted it to work. Um, so that that's a, another you know bias that goes in with that you know a just society, yeah. a fair society, and it's neither. Yeah, I think too uh, a lot of these biases are are related to generalization and overgeneralization, and there's actually a lot of neuroscience on and how that works. And I think there's a religious basis to the history. Right. Yes. For sure, it's historical, right? There's historical forces that are at play that shape our culture and the biases that we have within our culture, the social biases. But the neuroscience seems to indicate that these biases, um, they follow a certain process in the brain. And um, so in a way, we're hardwired for some of these biases. It's what we talked about with the the negativity bias last last show. But um, overgeneralization then is a really interesting one. And um, I can give you, um, so the idea is that we all walk around with basic ideas in our head of say, what is a chair? What is a cat? What is a house? What is whatever? And when we encounter something that doesn't just fit into that box that we already have created our ideal type, then we distort things and cram it in there. We make it fit in there. So, oh, <laughs> there's a house with a turret and a 
a helicopter pad or something. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, it's a house. It's a house, right? So we uh, distort things or we delete it. We just happen to go, okay, well, it's a house, but that helicopter thing, I don't know what's going on with that, so I'm just going to forget it. And I can give you a great example of how this works in my own life. I had a um, two-legged cat for years named Scooter, and he had no back legs. Great cat, but he also had a really stubby little tail. He was born that way. It was just his He was born without the legs? Yeah, he was just born that way. And so anyway, I had a scooter proof in my backyard, and so he could go outside and sit on the porch. And in the house that I was living in, there was a small apartment next door that was one of those three-floor apartments. I didn't know people very well. But the uh, one of the women on the top floor came out, and she looked down, and she saw a scooter who had this little stubby tail that kind of looked like a rabbit tail, and he had this longer-shaped body, and he he couldn't walk he just hopped right he just he was always sitting so he just kind of scoot along and i had a great life but she looked down. he was black and white she looked down and i looked up at her and i could watch the puzzle on her face as she was trying to figure out what this creature was so she yells down rabbit right which is her (laughs) looking at this creature that doesn't quite look like a rabbit but trying to put it into the box exactly right because it doesn't fit into the cat category scooter doesn't fit into that and so i yell back up cat and you can see her go oh like she all of a sudden has now a space in her cat category for scooter for scooter the cat and all of a sudden she goes oh okay and goes back into her house so that's a great example of how she had to sort of morph her ideal type her bias towards what a cat should look like right yeah we have very specific definitions of you know animals or boy girl whatever yep and we do this all the time we do this with people as well oh big time with people yeah big time if they don't fit into it then we're really we're really, uh, uh, you know, walking on water at that point and know that we're about to sink. Yeah, and so this is really kind of a lie that we tell ourselves, right? When we have to distort and delete things to fit categories into, to generalize them, to fit them into more general categories where they lose their their specificness, the, you know? Yeah, well, that, that overgeneralization, I mean, that's that's one of the, the biggest uh, um, uh, dissonances that there are. The other one is black and white thinking. Oh, totally. You know, if oh, fine. You know what? If you're not going to do this, then, then just forget it. We're not going to do it. And that's so common. And there's just no room to negotiate, you know, this black, white, because the world is gray. If if we negotiate, it's amazing, you know, moving from one color spectrum to the next. It's, my God, there's so many possibilities. Right. But we get locked into it's either our way or not. Right. It's our way or the highway. And I think the tendency with that one, too, is to personalize things, right? Which is oh. another form of a fallacy is yeah. where we we think that everything, it goes back to this control thing, goes where everything is our fault or everything is our responsibility or everything has to do with us. That's right. Right. That's right. And that's where a lot of negotiations fall apart. Right. Whether it's in, in you know, with couples or a contracted in employment or whatever is the, the personalization of of everything that's being said and not a recognition of the parties and their resources and you know the company if it's a business thing uh, all of those have to be taken into consideration mm-hmm. it's not just about me even though I want it to be just about me now so what I love about all this is all these fallacies kind of go together right oh they I'm do sure, I mean I know and I'm in looking through some of these that, that the process that I have you know I might move from one fallacy to the next to the next to the next and the next fallacy actually justifies the previous fallacy Right. Mm -hmm. And then leads me to the next one, you know, seamlessly. Right. And I think this is part of this, this, this habituated 
response that we have that uh, that uh, the CBT, the cognitive behavioral people talk about all the time if you can interrupt the the feeling the thought or the behavior that pattern that plays out then you have a possibility for changing things you do yeah uh, absolutely Uh, you know we the piece i was thinking when you said about moving on uh like one goes to the next goes to the next goes to the next is the whole thing of projection oh yeah you know like i i assume that you are feeling what i'm feeling or you understand what i'm feeling and my thoughts and my values yeah or uh, it's also a way that, unfortunately, people get under other people's skins, too, is to go, why are you feeling angry right now? Well, I'm not feeling angry. Well, you appear to be really angry. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, uh, someone came up with a term called tanking. Oh, tell me about that. Well, tanking is it's when I'm, I'm really angry, but I'm not going to let it out. So what I do is I unconsciously, unconsciously, I start to antagonize you. I start asking you, why Why are you angry? And you will say, but I'm not angry. And I keep saying, but you're acting angry. I'm not acting angry. Yes, you are. And so now you're getting angry because I'm, I'm trying to bring you into being angry. Oh, okay. Until yeah. you feel crazy. It's kind of like a, a side effect of gaslighting or mm-hmm. something, you know. And so I finally have you so angry because I'm accusing you of being angry that you are now doing my anger for me. And I say, why are you so crazy? You're a crazy woman. Right, right. I walk away calm. This is a real male-female thing sometimes, is I walk away being really calm, and the woman's walking away, like, wanting to, like, rip people's faces off. And actually, that's that's my anger. The way it's drawn would be like, you know, there was, like, this, this uh, you know, a tall pipe that's filled with a pipe going across in your pipe, all right. And so it'd be like a lever. I would just push it down and it goes across there. And your your well would now fill up with the anger mm. and mine empties right out. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's called tanking. It's quite an interesting, uh, interesting concept as to how we get other people to do our, our feelings for us. I can totally see how that fits into uh, like totalized thinking, the black and white thinking that you talked about. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, if we could get past uh, overgeneralizing, it's like, so what would overgeneralizing be? Overgeneralizing is, you know, why is it that every time when I come home, you have to blah, blah, all right? That you don't do it every time I come home. It's maybe happened two or three times. And now it's every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we make this grand, you know, it's very grandiose, very grandiose statements around that. All right. Yeah. You know, just imagine what our lives would be like if we didn't do that or didn't have to hear it. Uh, and uh, someone wasn't doing like black and white thinking, uh, you know, that would be, be really nice. So, you know, so those are just some really cool examples. I think they're kind of fun. Uh, just, you know, so how, how do we know when we're lying, you know, to ourselves? Uh, that's, that's a difficult one. It's, uh, you know, certainly something... Something that we need to know. So what what we can do is is just to watch ourselves. Uh, that's probably first and foremost is just watching watching ourselves. And you know, uh, Dr. Neil Burton uh, he does in his blog Hide and Seek. Uh, you know, talks about uh, a lot of people are just trying trying to figure out just how self deceptive they really are. Okay, uh, so you know, if you're asking yourself when or how are you deceiving yourself, watch yourself. Watch your feelings, okay? Your, your emotions will give away just a whole lot of, of interesting uh, 
uh, you know, experiences for you. Are you feeling anxious? Are you angry? Are you scared? Or, you know, those kinds of things will play out for you. Uh, what else? Yeah, uh, I think what's important about that, too, it hooks into this idea that the emotion that we feel at any particular moment is actually a function of of something that we've experienced before, right? Because we take our meaning in this moment from every moment that's been before. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, the other one is watch your thoughts. Yeah. Now, th- this is this is really big. All right. And then that is, is that, in fact, most of us believe that we are right about everything because we think our thoughts are true and our thoughts are not true. They're just... We have so many things that flow through our brain that it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. Now, unfortunately, we're running out of time, and we have run out of time. This is a great area. Uh, as you can tell, Jed, I really have fun with this. Um, uh, learning more and more and more. Uh, you can contact us at uh, info at spiritgrows.ca. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how, how uh, you learned about the lies that you tell yourself. And perhaps how you uh, how you made that that change. Uh, we will be back next week, and we're looking forward to a show all about change when change happens to us. So this is Dr. Jan Hill. I'm Gord Riddell, and uh, we thank you for joining us. We hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next week again. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.